Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest US-regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention breed love to your advisor and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Mr. Brian Solston, welcome Hello, to the Robert. show. Glad to have you here. Um, Thank you. My pleasure. You are <clears throat> running for U.S. Senate representing the state of Washington. Um, and I... I know that you are a strong advocate of Bitcoin and as much as we <laughs> talk about the problems with government and statism on this show, I am always thrilled to meet someone in your position running for office that is trying to take Bitcoin to that level. Um, it still seems like we're kind of at this point where Bitcoin's not taken seriously enough. I think we're going to round that corner pretty quickly here, but in any event, I would love to learn a bit about you. I'd love to learn about your background, you know, how you got into this career path and um, how you got into Bitcoin originally as well. Well, my, let's say career-wise, primarily I, I've been an aerospace uh, propulsion engineer and also a software developer. And I've also done some, uh, I, I passed the patent bar. And I've done some patent work. I enjoy technology a lot, science, tech, technology, engineering, math, manufacturing, all of it, STEM, big advocate. So that's my background and, and uh, how I got into Bitcoin. Did you, did you ask that question, Robert? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear how you got into Bitcoin originally or how you were introduced to it. Well, I, I've been into it since 2017 and, you know, I'd heard the name before, but I, I really didn't understand what it was. And I think my narrative, like, like most people, we, I have a unique narrative. Uh, I'm not a gold bug. Um, I, I got into it because I'm a privacy advocate. I have for a long time followed crypto um, cryptography, uh, you know, Phil Zimmerman, um, let's say PGP, um, you know, pretty good protection. Uh, the Supreme Court, when they ruled that that software is is free speech, I mean, I, I was covering all that stuff. So I'm kind of, let's say, on the let's say Adam Back camp of how I look at Bitcoin and what I what I thought was most valuable about it, and it was protecting privacy. And so that was my hook. But it wasn't until 2017 that I really understood what it was. And uh, I went in all, all in 2017 and never looked back. Oh, wow. So you, you were one of the few that sort of got it quickly, I guess, and went all in on Bitcoin. I went, I went all in and kind of like Michael Saylor, you know, wow. he saw it, he went in, no looking back. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, a lot of myself included, I think most people that are into Bitcoin get distracted by the shiny shit coins for some period of time. And um, you kind of start with Bitcoin, you get lost in that mess, and then you end up coming back to Bitcoin, typically with a hardened <laughs> conviction. Yeah. And I never, I never did get mixed up with altcoins, but as a candidate, I was trying to, let's say, 
have a bigger, let's say, be more inclusive mm -hmm. and really acknowledge some of the, the work that's being done in altcoins. But, you know, after a while, I, I've actually lost tolerance because there's, there's so many altcoins out there that are trying to, you know, be better than Bitcoin. And, 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 and as a politician, I'm running to fix a broken monetary system. Mm. And nothing else is sufficiently decentralized. Nothing else can, can fix that problem. Only Bitcoin can do that. It doesn't matter if you have additional features or functions. Only Bitcoin fixes the broken monetary system. So I've just, rather than being, you know, trying to, I really believe in building consensus and taking the time to go through that education cycle, but I'm, I've just kind of moved on from that and said, look, this is, this is my platform. I'm a Bitcoiner. And, and don't, don't confuse that with being a, a Bitcoin maxi or, or toxic Bitcoin. I'm not that. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in gentlemanly conversation. I, I don't like it when people get personal on Twitter. I, I just have zero tolerance for that. Mm -hmm. but, but I really enjoy building consensus. It's, it's important to me to take time to listen to other people and go through that education and taking turns and being respectful. That, that to me is, is very important. So I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. I think Bitcoiners are minimalist. Mm. We're, we're central bank minimalists. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a minimalist. We can talk more about my background if you want to later on, but, but uh, I, I, I'm a Bitcoiner and, uh, and I am a minimalist and that's why I'm attracted to Bitcoin. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um... The Bitcoin domain, or I guess the culture at least, is very interesting. You know, the people that are into Bitcoin tend to be disagreeable, trait disagreeable, tends to be prevalent. So we like to argue, like to push back a yeah. lot of adversarial thinking. But I do think it goes too far at times, like people just attacking each other for the sake of attacking or for the sake of social media engagement. I'm not entirely sure, but, um, but it's well, a very... I, I I am a single issue voter. And what I mean by mm. that is I will overlook differences, whatever they are. I mean, we have differences, no problem. But what we have in common is Bitcoin. And what else is more important than fixing our, our broken monetary system? In my mind, nothing. And so I can overlook all kinds of differences. But, but I notice that there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there. They're, they're bringing their agenda with them into the Bitcoin conversation. And you know, whatever that might be. And, and they can get, uh, let's say, strong opinions on those secondary issues. And that's where I just lose interest. Yeah, I guess what excites me about the prospect of Bitcoin succeeding is that people bringing in their opinions will just learn that it's not, it's not useful in a Bitcoinized world to try and impose your opinion on someone else. So it's better to just acknowledge it for what it is, right? It's just an opinion. And if you disagree with yeah. someone, then you know, go your separate ways. Um, and I, it, so as you said, you were a privacy advocate or are a privacy advocate, which is one of the things that attracted you to the technology originally. That's an interesting place to be because I feel like that's, that's the one area Bitcoin lacks. And that's a lot of this cultural attack service that people that are into Monero and other privacy coins try to highlight and say, oh, Bitcoin's not private. So you need you know, Monero or whatever this is. Um, so I just think that, you know, we had the block size wars in 2017. That already has pretty much been sorted out. So we've, we've kind of hardened that shelling point. But I think we'll have something similar like that for privacy at some point. So it's a very contentious, nuanced area of Bitcoin. Um, but I'm, I mean, just my own opinion is I think layer two technologies like lightning and others will solve for privacy i'm with you on that to, in addition to scalability so i think i think that's the way that that race will go but um definitely a, a tricky topic to talk about because <laughs> yeah. bitcoin can be private but it's not private out of the box so to speak it is i i look at altcoins really as you know do they have this feature or function better than whatever. I look at that as being, for the most part, neutral. I'm not really concerned about it, interested in it. But when it comes to CBDCs, CBDCs are Bitcoin enemy. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, so I am strongly against CBDCs. As a privacy advocate, I mean, this is this is dystopian. Yeah, very cool. So let's talk, maybe you just fill me in a little bit about your engineering background, because I found it also fascinating. Maybe this is just the Michael Saylor effect, but how many engineers I've seen pouring into Bitcoin recently? And I mean, if anyone can get it, it's the engineer mindset. Right? It's just... It's a yeah, fixed unit it's, of measurement for economic value, just like we use fixed units of measurement for everything else that we coordinate on. Yeah, I, I don't fully understand it, but I've observed that guys are typically, uh, you know, attracted to, to Bitcoin and guys are typically attracted to engineering. I've observed that uh, for decades. Um, and I, I can't, I, I don't understand why they are, you know, they just are. And as, as an engineer, what is it that really appeals to me? Again, uh, it was the problem of, I was part of a search engine before Google was around, right? As a, as a software developer, I was very interested in, uh, let's, let's call it the decentralized promise of the internet that was destroyed as we move forward in time, uh, more or less by uh, you know, central powers like the communist Chinese party, uh, or you know CCP over in, in China and also the Russian Federation, you know and others, uh, they filter so much that uh, you know that that decentralized internet, uh, you know was let's say blunted, and uh, and so this is a technical problem, and I think engineering engineers are are interested in that. Why is it that non-engineers are not so much interested about privacy and technology? Uh, and money, um, you know, I don't know. I, I can't explain that very well. Yeah, it's as if, yeah, we had this great promise in the emergence of the internet that it was going to democratize and decentralize everything. Um, and if anything, it's sort of done the opposite. I mean, I guess it has democratized the access to a lot of things. What we're doing right now, right, it's a form of decentralized media. That's been very disruptive to kind of mainstream broadcast networks of the 20th century. But it also created a lot of centralization in, say, the FANG stocks, right? The, you know, five of the most valuable companies in the world that just um, shot up out of the internet revolution as large, as large megalithic institutions. We needed what we didn't have was Bitcoin, frankly, right? You know, you could move the information right. without permission, but there was a real problem when you can't move the economic value without permission because you still get kind of trapped in that legacy network. And it does seem to me, and this is the key distinction between Bitcoin and all other crypto assets, is that only Bitcoin is provably decentralized, whereas all of these others are, a lot of people use the acronym DINO decentralized in name only. Yes. Um, so what does that, I mean, is in your view of Bitcoin, is that the key value proposition that you saw it's decentralized money in a world that's increasingly centralized? Is that why you've, you've um, attached onto this, this movement uh, as part of your, yeah. your trajectory? Yeah. If you look at the 2008, you know, October 31st, in, in innovation, it was a peer-to-peer -peer transaction without an intermediary, mm -hmm. without an intermediary. That was the invention. That, that's, that's ground zero, that's zero to one. So why did that appeal to me? Um, well, if we go back in time and technology and this promise of a decentralized internet, I mean, we had, we had writings out there and a lot of conversation. I was hanging out with software people and, you know, like, for example, the, the, the book, The Sovereign Individual, okay? Uh, I was, I, I don't know if I read, I've read that book or I've listened to an audio since, you know, that time, a uh, long time ago. I've, I've recently listened to it and it's fantastic. But I know I had influence because I had my friends and my colleagues were reading it. But I remember reading the, you know, the world is flat and this is where we were going to go. This, is, this was going to be the decentralized internet promise. This is, this is what was going to happen. And, and it really didn't. And so uh, the original attraction to me for Bitcoin was, this is the world is flat all over again. This is the sovereign individual. This is individual sovereignty. 
you know, this is what I thought the future world was going to be, but it didn't go that way. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of early influence in that vision, mm. but the technology went in a different direction. So you saw the same, the promise of the internet as being this liber liberating force, destroying power to the people. Um, but obviously there were some missing pieces to that. And then you latched on to Bitcoin as kind of the, the, I guess the tool necessary to help realize that future. Yeah, I, I thought with, with the internet, I thought authoritarians were going to be out of luck mm -hmm. and the individual's individual sovereignty, the sovereign individual was going to be empowered. And, uh, you know, obviously um, that didn't work. I mean, you, you look at the rise of authoritarianism around the world, uh, obviously that hypothesis did not play out. Yeah, it's interesting because... I mean, there's, there's so many factors to consider, but it definitely seems like people have people now have more options than they ever have before by virtue of digital technology, as far as communicating and, you know, transacting, holding capital, moving around all these things, you know, it's digital tech has improved marketplaces with things like Uber and Airbnb and whatnot. But the flip side of that is you've had the legacy analog institutions sort of scrambling to get a hold of this new digital media and that's where so i mean the way i often describe this is it feels like the spectrum of possibilities wide open now we can keep going towards 1984 or we could veer hard right towards some you know digital renaissance or something to that effect what do you so you're running for senate the state of washington what do you intend to do with Bitcoin should you be elected? And how do you intend to help, I guess, educate and implement Bitcoin in the modern world? Well, the big picture is, is my primary focus is to be, is to make Bitcoin legal tender, but that's, that's a macro perspective. Hmm. Uh, the baby steps are, uh, you know, zero tax for Bitcoin. Hmm. Uh, and of course, we're going to have to move that goal. We're going to have to start small, you know, maybe $600 as that is being proposed at present. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to start moving that up and, you know, go, go from $600 to $1,000 to $10,000 to $100,000. Sorry, what is that? We, That's the level that uh, you're shielded from capital gain taxes? Being able to, to purchase something without... Oh, without a, reporting a, it. Gotcha. So this is using Bitcoin as a currency. Yes. Yes. And, and we're going to be going in that direction soon. There's a, there's Senator Loomis is going after it. Mm. Uh, I know my, my uh, representative in Congress, uh, representative Del Baney in, uh, in, in the state of Washington, she's, she's going after $200 as a non-taxable event for Bitcoin. We're going to get there, but we need to keep pushing that. And that's the only way we're going to be able to fix the broken monetary system is, is, to, is to provide some competition to this, this Ponzi scheme that's out mm. there. And the Ponzi scheme is this, you, you've explained it very well. I've heard, heard you explain it very well in previous shows, Robert. But this Ponzi scheme is being driven by the magic money printer. And uh, that's, that's the problem. It, that that mo magic money printer at the Fed needs competition. And Bitcoin will provide that uh that oracle of truth of what the free market is yeah the it really is the problem right it's competition is what keeps producers honest if i as a consumer know that i can say no to a producer and take my business elsewhere that's what keeps that producer and all producers honest but we just don't have that in the sphere of money right we have this one solution that's forced down your throat and everything else is illegal. Um, clearly that's a problem. So let's double click on this legal tender. You, you intend to introduce Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, legal tender, meaning I think it says on the face of the dollar, this note is for settlement of all debts, public and private. So this yeah. essentially means the compelled, this is sort of what El Salvador has done already, I believe, yeah. they, they made Bitcoin legal tender. Um, 
Now, this is an interesting area too, because on one hand, Bitcoiner, as a Bitcoiner, you would be excited for Bitcoin being announced as legal tender. But if you're also libertarian or freedom maximalist, you would actually have a, you'd have a problem with that because people are being compelled to accept a certain kind of money. So I find myself sort of lost here too. I don't know what I suppose. As a freedom maximalist, I should say I don't support legal tender, but if it helps the proliferation of Bitcoin and that ultimately helps a lot more people achieve personal freedom, then maybe it makes sense. How do you think about legal tender and Bitcoin and, and what impact that would have in the U.S.? Um, I, I understand where you're coming from on that, and and I fully respect that libertarian perspective. You should not be forcing people. It should be free market, let, let the different uh, monetary systems compete. I understand that. Uh, like El Salvador, they, they went right to legal tender rather than doing these baby steps. And in other words, you're compelling shop owners to receive Bitcoin when they really may not have gone through this education cycle first. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot easier to do baby steps and say, you know, $200 or $600 being a non-taxable -tax event. And that way it's up to the, the store to say, we accept Bitcoin or we don't. And that allows a lot more free market. Uh, I, I, I look at Bitcoin being legal tender as being you know, a large chasm, a large education cycle to go through uh, before we get there. But I do believe that Bitcoin provides national security. And so, you know, is it, let's say, strategically um, important to have Bitcoin as legal tender and perhaps along with our fiat USD? I, I do believe it's important because Bitcoin provides competition to these CBDCs that are, that are coming out. You know, China already has one with their digital yuan. Um, you look at what Canada recently did with the truckers. Uh, it's unforgivable um, yeah. using money as a weapon like that, uh, you know, against individual sovereignty. Um, you know, we really need to look at not just this libertarian idealistic way of doing things, but, we, but I want to look at it from a national security perspective in competition with CBDCs. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, I'm for working towards legal tender but that's 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 the long run. Mm. It's making non-taxable events are going to be all these baby steps that we need to do. Yeah, no, that's that's well put. Thank you for sharing that. And just for the audience, they probably already know this, but you cannot exchange Bitcoin at all, at all as money today without incurring. Every time you exchange Bitcoin, you're incurring a capital gain essentially, which effectively makes States. it. Yeah, in the United States, which makes it unusable as a transactional currency because you're getting eat up with taxable events every time you exchange. That obviously doesn't work. So legal tender would then exclude it from that. Yeah, I, I, I never bought a coffee with Bitcoin in the United States. But when I was in El Salvador, no problem. Yeah. Was not a taxable event. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, what? So would you... You mentioned zero tax, so I guess you meant specifically capital gains tax on Bitcoin. No capital gains on on Bitcoin. Yeah, zero. And I mean zero tax on Bitcoin. And people say, well, what about capital gains? Just like yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, if we're going to demonetize, like for example, let's talk about homeless. Um, we have a growing homeless problem in the, in the greater Seattle area, and uh, we've had some let's say political solutions where they built, um, you know, some homes for low income people. And it's a small, let's say solution. It's more or less, I believe a symbolic solution because yeah, we have some homeless people long-term, um, but, and it's truly changed their lives in a very significant way, in a good way. But the bigger issue is our broken monetary system. You know, the fact that they print money and that just almost immediately drives up housing prices 20% in one year, you, you increase the M2 money supply by 20%, the housing increases by 20%, yeah. fuel increases by 20%, food increases by 
And this is the root problem of homelessness. And so, you know, the point is, is that if we really want to demonetize housing and make it more utility, we need to eliminate the capital gains for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I really mean zero tax for Bitcoin in the long run. Well, that's that's great. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I wanna to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible. And then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. How do you view adding Bitcoin to something like US, the US Treasury as a reserve asset? Um, is that something you would want to push towards as well? I know you mentioned you thought Bitcoin and national security went hand in hand. So maybe you could just unpack that a little bit for us. Well, Take a look at the you know British pound sterling, right? There's Soros did a speculative attack on that. You need reserves, and the more liquid they are, the better. Um, so yeah, it's better than gold. Bitcoin uh, mm -hmm. is is a better reserve asset than gold. It's more liquid. Now people might argue that in terms of well, it's less than it's worth less than a trillion dollars, and gold is worth around ten trillion dollars. Well, you're right. But in terms of liquidity 24-7 and, you know, the electronic transfer of the property, it's better than gold. And as Bitcoin grows, yeah, it's going to, I believe, eventually um, surpass gold in, you know, in its, in its liquidity status in terms of its size, you know, perhaps moving towards $10 trillion and above. Yeah, I agree with that. I think my view of Bitcoin is disruptive to gold. Um, and it seems especially obvious to me, strategically at least, for the US, or I guess we could say the Fed more specifically, to just start buying this thing. I mean, you have no, there's zero, effectively zero marginal cost for you to expand the dollar supply. And then you can use those new dollars to acquire some territory on this network that may be disruptive to central banking um, on balance. So you have like, there's no effectively no risk to acquire an insurance policy. What I mean by that is acquiring Bitcoin as an insurance policy against its, its success and its disruption of central banking. So it seems like an obvious strategical or strategic decision rather, but to me, it's obvious too, but you know, senators that are 75 and above, you know, they, they right. really don't have a clue. And if you look at gold, it is being demonetized. It was greatly demonetized in 1971. Mm -hmm. And it's, I believe it's been increasingly demonetized up until today. And I think that will continue. Mm -hmm. um, and Bitcoin is going to provide competition. So I believe gold, I'm, as you know, I'm not a gold bug, mm -hmm. uh, never have been. I don't think I ever will. 
but I, I personally believe, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe gold will continue to be demonetized and used for its utility purpose, which it, the valuation of that is much less than the, let's say the monetary value. And, and uh, Bitcoin at, is being monetized, not only the token, but the network. The network is being monetized on the primary and also on the lightning network and also secondary layers. And also there's, there's gonna be uh, layers on top of that, you know, applications being built on the, on the second layer Bitcoin. So these things are being monetized, the token, the, the network, and uh, you know, that we've had an amazing 13 year history and I would fully expect that to continue in that direction as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, no, agreed with that. Um, so let me ask you that if you often think about this too, that things are things are pretty bad in the world today. And if we didn't have Bitcoin, I sure would be personally a lot more pessimistic because I don't know what Bitcoin fixes so many things that I don't know how how else we would fix them. If in some hypothetical world you had come into a position of sufficient political influence that you could just remove the Fed, remove central banking. Is that some, like say Bitcoin's not an option, is that something you would go forward with? Or is this something, I guess I'm trying to get a sense of, did you understand the problems with central banking before Bitcoin? Or is this something that Bitcoin uh, helped awaken you to? Bitcoin has been my teacher. And uh, no, I was not fully aware. I, I understood some of the, let's say, gold bug arguments. And you know, I, I remember listening to some gold bug, bug people like 20 years ago. And, you know, kind of made sense. But I, I thought, you know, I, I don't know. It just didn't, I, I didn't think we were going to go back to the gold bugs standard, I'm, you know, 20 years ago. So now with Bitcoin here, I'm, I'm thinking, no way are we going to go back to a gold standard, right? you know. Um, and what are my thoughts on getting rid of the fit, Fed? Um, again, as a politician, uh, I, I want to look at things in terms of baby steps. Uh, we, need, we need to be realistic. And I think the first step for looking at the Fed is just providing audits. I would, would like the Fed to be auditable just as the Bitcoin blockchain is auditable. Mm -hmm. Things that are verifiable, traceable. Um, the Fed isn't there. They're far from it. And Janet Yellen does not want that to happen. She testified in Congress that she does not want the, the Fed audited. And I want it audited. Mm. I want it to be just as traceable and verifiable as the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, that's great. And then if people, you know, presumably also with no, let's say Bitcoin's legal tender in that situation, the Fed is audited, Bitcoin is audited in real time. Um, that should help throw light on the whole situation. <laughs> you kind of see the truth of both systems. And then people have the option, the uncoerced option to choose which money is better for them. Yeah, real sticky situation. I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about Bitcoin and how it can help fix some of this because these are age old problems. You know, we've been dealing with this for a long time, not just in the US, but, you know, in many countries worldwide. Um, so you said you, li you live in Washington state. And you're doing a few things to help build Bitcoin community there. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? And then you also mentioned the solston.org podcast. Maybe you could tell us about what type of things you talk about on there and the guests you have on and so on. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm starting to release content out there. I think I have five, five different uh, episodes. They're short. One is long. Um, and I'm just going to continue to generate content that that operates within the the why bitcoin um as you know if you read the white paper there's very little why it's mostly how how do you bitcoin how do you put mm -hmm. this all together merkle mm -hmm. trees and uh you know the cryptography and and so on um but but i really want to focus on why bitcoin mm -hmm. and uh and how and why uh, we need to fix our broken monetary system. Uh, so I'm going to be taking a, a, my perspective on this and trying to build content that allows others to go through the journey that you and I have gone through. Mm. So let me ask you, this is something I, 
I've struggled with myself. I get asked about Bitcoin a lot, as I'm sure you probably do as well. And you don't, you know, it takes a long time to get your head around Bitcoin, as many of us report in the space, 100 hours minimum studying it to even start, you know, to understand it. How do you answer that question? Either I'll give you options. What is Bitcoin or why Bitcoin? How do you answer that in a succinct manner? How do I? Um, boy, that's that's a tough question to answer. Really tough. I can give you an example just... for mine if that's helpful. Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but just to give you an idea of, I've started to describe Bitcoin as an insurance policy on fiat currency or the U.S. dollar. The more mm -hmm. dollars they print, the more valuable the policy becomes. So that's like my thirty-second just buy insurance on the dollar with Bitcoin. Um, and I'm just curious if you have something similar. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, there's 22 different use cases on this, uh, according to what I've written. And there, of course, there's many more than that. Um, I, I have found that I've been able to orange pill people down in El Salvador quickly. They understand it. But in the United States, not so much. They mm -hmm. don't understand and so I could, for example, talk to a bartender and orange pill them, get them up and going and, you know, come back and shoot a video <laughs> on how we can do a transaction and upload it. And it's no big deal. Up here in the United States, it's a two hour conversation. Mm. And they're still, well, what about this? And what about that? Because they don't understand the use case for them because they're part of a banking system that works pretty well. Mm -hmm. But down in, in El Salvador where, you know, Visa and, and MasterCard transactions internationally, they just, they're expensive and they, you know, they don't work for very well. They, they get it that fast. When they see the transaction where you can buy a coffee in less than two seconds and it, it, it comes with finality, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to wait for a month where that, that charge can be uh, reversed it's it's final and if you're using a lightning network i mean it's the cost of it is one five hundredth of a penny or less yeah they get it really fast mm -hmm. but i i think i think uh for me what i i like to lead with now um with let's say the american audience that i honestly i i don't really spend time trying to orange pill people that are are new to bitcoin i like to spend time with other bitcoiners or people that are on that journey really talking about it because um, taking people to those different levels and taking me to those uh, new levels of understanding, it's fun. Whereas if you say to somebody who really doesn't understand it, go buy Bitcoin, then I, I feel responsible for them in case you know they incur some volatility of the market. Mm -hmm. And I get a little bit worried for them because they don't fully understand Bitcoin. So I, I'm not really trying to uh, orange pill the newbie. I'm trying to um, share my knowledge with people that are asking questions. But but the thing that holds it all together for me, and of course this is just one use case, I I I, I like to refer back to Satoshi Nakamoto's uh, post on two, in 2009, where he said this is he, he isn't talking about the how like he did in in the white paper. He's talking about the why why Bitcoin. And, you know, you're talking about the why. Um, Fidelity's talking about the why now. You know, mm. Greg Foss talks about the why. Mm. But this is, this is uh, Satoshi Nokomoto posting in 2009 saying, the root problem with the conventional currency is all the trust that, that's required to make it work. The central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency but the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of that trust. Mm -hmm. So that is the central root problem of why we Bitcoin. Yeah, beautifully said. And I, it's sort of a counterintuitive term, but to minimize the need for trust is a really good thing because then you just don't have as much opportunity to break trust. 
And um, it's kind of a bit to get your head around it. But once you see it, you know, if I can just trust everyone's self-interest, then I'm pretty set. You know, that's kind of the, the ideal free market scenario. Um, and I guess those, you know, people living in more of what we historically call the developing world, they've felt that pain. They've seen those consequences of debased money. They've seen breaches of that trust. They've felt them, right? The, the consequences of those breaches of trust in their own lives. Whereas in the U.S. and in the West and the, the affluent West, mostly, we haven't felt that, you know, we haven't experienced the U.S. dollar hyperinflation. We haven't experienced much inflation at all. You know, the 1970s notwithstanding, at least uh, in a short burst. Obviously, we've had a lot of inflation over the past 113 years. Um, but it, it appears to me that, you know, people in the U.S. just haven't felt enough pain yet to really be informed about the need for Bitcoin. But that pain... You know, you mentioned the Canadian truckers and you had Russia's foreign central bank reserves seized. The pain is there. It's being inflicted day in and day out. So I think it's just a matter of time. So you've told me that your aim as congressman would be to reform the broken monetary system. What does that look like? I mean, that is a tall order to say the least you know obviously bitcoin is instrumental to this process but do you have specific steps in mind that you you look to take to reform the broken monetary system i think zero tax bitcoin does it all i mean that it is ultimately the solution is zero tax bitcoin and even capital gains get rid of it and if we do that we will fix the the broken monetary system in fact that's all we have to do is that one thing and getting there is not going to be easy. It's going to be a political battle. And because uh, there is a lot of people that are going to defend that magic money printer. Right. In a, even in, we have a, a long history of that, of people defending that with violence. Mm -hmm. You know, wars are fought over this. And so we, we need to, um, it's going to be difficult to get to that point, but we will get to that point. Um, and I believe we will come out on the other side and we will experience a, a renaissance 2.0. And that's why I like hanging out with Bitcoiners because, you know, understanding a world that is flat, you know, where, where I can deal with other individuals and make transactions without having an intermediary having to get them to bed with us over that transaction. You know, um, that represents a very efficient economy. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the velocity of value accelerating mm -hmm. exponentially. And it's, it's, it's hard to imagine how that world is going to be. But the more you think about it and you interact with other Bitcoiners, it, it is walking into a world of what if we had that? How good would it, would it be? And you start bumping into Austrian economics and, and you get into some of these different uh, libertarian ideas. And I, I honestly, I'm, I'm not a libertarian, but I lean libertarian, right? Mm. Let me just to be, let's say, lay it on the table. I, I am a social liberal, fiscal conservative. Mm. And as a Bitcoiner, you are a fiscal conservative. There's really no way around it. Yeah. But you could choose to be a social liberal or a, or a, um, Social conservative, I guess. Social conservative, yeah, thank you. And, you know, that, that, that kind of conversation is endless. You know, I mean, we can go on and on of how you define the, the differences between those two. Mm. Well, being that I'm from the, the Southwest, I mean, excuse me, the, the Northwest uh, in, the, in the Seattle area and, and, the, and state of Washington, um, I'm a conservationist. And... And so I, I believe in clean air, clean water, clean energy. Mm -hmm. And people that are in Texas, you know, they're, they're very close to Houston and they typically will have a, a different perspective on that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a big, oil is a big part of the, the Houston economy. And so there's, there's a, it's convenient to, to have a different political view and, and, and how do you define um, socially conservative or socially liberal at that point? Well, um, 
just on that difference alone, you can understand why I'm a social liberal. I'm in the state of Washington. I'm not closely associated with, with the oil industry in Houston. So yeah, I'm, I am a conservationist and a, and a conservationist, I would say is social liberal, but I am a fiscal conservative. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you said wars are fought over the, the right or the access or control over the printing press. And I would, I would add to that, that wars are also fought with the printing press, you know, instead of a nation being confined to its own balance sheet as its war chest. It now has access to the savings of everyone using the currency. Um, this seems to me to be like the one thing you could unite everyone against is just war. I don't, don't know anyone that, I mean, you could talk about defense contractors and their shareholders and whatnot. Maybe they like war because they get paid off of it. But I think people, um, as a matter of things to remove from the world, would more or less universally agree that war is a bad thing. And it, I mean, this is one of the greatest promises of Bitcoin is that it at least restricts the capacity for nation states to wage war, long duration war. Um, I know you said earlier, you know, most people don't get this. Is this something that you think this is a string worth pulling on? Is this something you would like to yeah, talk it, more about? Yeah, it's very important. It's very important. I mean, you, you look at the people that are really in power. I'm talking about the the financial class. They know um, they know that whoever controls the magic money printer makes the rules. Mm -hmm. Whoever controls the magic money printer makes the rules. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you, you see a lot of a lot of influence in IMF and World Bank where they are strongly against Bitcoin mm. because they, they, they perceive that Bitcoin is a threat to that magic money printer. And so they make uh, Argentina jump through a lot of hoops mm -hmm. suppressing uh, Bitcoin um, just so that they can roll over their debt from the IMF. So it, it's, it's transparent to me that uh, the people that are in power um, are are going to do um, almost anything to protect that that fiat. So fiat fiat is a it is a footing for war because you can just print as much as you want and have your people effectively work for free. You know it, it is it is slave money, and no. and so uh, it, it is a fiat is 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 good footing for war, um, but keep in mind you're, you're treating your people like like soldiers yeah and just and i'm reminded of like cutting off your nose to spite your face type of thing it's like sure you may have some short run economic gain by going to war but you're really jeopardizing the social cooperation globally which is what creates all the wealth right the more we cooperate the more wealth we produce and all of the even the threat of war it doesn't even have to be actual war, just currency wars, trade wars, all these things, they inhibit that productive enterprise of cooperation. And so I can kind of back to that time preference thing. We have the short-term interests that keep defeating the ability of long-term interests to really take hold. But, you know, again, hopefully Bitcoin fixes a lot of that. Um, you mentioned you've got a primary coming up August 2nd. I do. Yes. So maybe you could tell and, us a little bit about that and just let me know or let the audience know rather how they can help learn more and help about what you're doing. Well, one thing I need to do is I got to get some signage up and uh, I really do need some help. If people would go to solston.org and, and contribute, um, I need to be able to fund that um, to get to get the word out. I'll put a Bitcoin message on the sign. Uh, and uh, this will be helpful for not only for winning the primary, but also provide, it will help with the education cycle um, regarding Bitcoin for the people in the state of Washington. And I would say that uh, from my observation, we do not have a vibrant Bitcoin community compared to, say, Texas. Um, 
we do have a good Bitcoin community in the state of Washington, but I think it's stronger in the state of Texas. And we, we need to change that because I, we don't have time to talk about this today, but Bitcoin is, I believe, the apex environmental solution. Mm-hmm. When conservation conservationists really understand Bitcoin for what it is, when it flips the incentive from hyperconsumption to savings, it is the apex environmental solution. And so uh, this is an education cycle that we're going to have to bring to the Northwest. And Oregon is a big part of that. We've got a lot of good, uh, we've got a good Bitcoin community down there. And combined with the state of Washington, uh, we can accelerate this education cycle. Super cool. Um, Brian, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I, you know, best of luck in everything you're doing. I know it's a hard fight. I'm sure you've probably been considered um, like a lot of people that have gotten into Bitcoin and taken the message back to their family or community or business. Uh, The ones that do that early are often considered crazy. (laughs) So I'm sure you fought your own kind of battles in that way. But I thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, please feel free to leave my audience with any parting words or just let them know where they can go to find out more about you or your work. Yeah, the main main place to find the information is solston.org. You can find my Twitter handle there and uh, and help with the, you know, the, the campaign effort um, at solston.org. And also you can learn more about me and, and my platform. And Robert, it's been a real privilege to be on your your show I, i've you're a great influencer i i talked to non-bitcoiners who i think are non-bitcoiners and just say have you heard of robert breedlove up in the state of washington and uh you know i remember um they say yeah i've heard i've listened to robert breedlove i mean you you're getting a name brand out there and uh and you're certainly part of my my uh you know my psyche uh, my 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 realm of understanding for Bitcoin. You've helped me along the the path, and so yeah, keep on doing it. Really appreciate your 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 work in in explaining, you know, the history of money and and so on. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. I really, that's what I want to do. Just add value to to people's lives and hopefully help them see things a little more clearly. So I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, do you want to also mention just your Twitter handle for my audience in case they want to go and follow you on Twitter? Yeah, it's at Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N, B, Solston, S-O-L-S-T-I-N. Got it. So at B, Solston? At Brian B, Solston. Oh, Brian B, Solston. At Brian yep. B, Solston. Wonderful. Okay, Brian, thank you so much. Um, best of luck with everything. And let me know if we can be of any help. Thank you very much, Robert. Thanks.